Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, May 5th, 2021. I am Dave Biddle. I am joined by Matt Baxendale. A lot to get into, Bax. Let's start with Jamison Williams transferring to Alabama, but more specifically, his dad really very publicly on, on social media going off on Ohio State, seems very angry. What do you make of that situation? Well, clearly he's pissed. I mean, <laughs> if you go through his comments, yeah. they're pretty damning if you're going to be honest in a way because what he's saying is is that Ohio State's playing favorites among the wide receivers now of course that comes from somebody who left and just gave OSU the finger on their way out to Alabama which I can't hate on Williams for going to a big time school that says receivers the NFL but his dad's saying things on Twitter are on Instagram like hey you know the only reason Williams didn't play was because uh, Olave and Wilson are the favorites, which my response is, well, they, the reason that they're playing ahead of him is because they're both potential first-round picks. So, you know, that seems logical. Um, but some of the stuff he's saying on there is, you know, uh, Fleming nearly transferred is one of the things he was claiming, and they had to talk him off of the ledge. Um, you know, it's part, and then he was saying other things along the lines of, like, you know, that, that, that Day and, and Heartland are sort of picking and choosing the kids that they, quote, like. Um, now, here's the thing. You have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because, oh, and another thing he said was, when was the last time Ohio State had a first round wide receiver? Like, you know, Michael Thomas and Terry McLaurin being stars in the league isn't worth anything. It, it, was, it was definitely a little bit of a bridge burn on the way out. Um, now, the flip side of this is, is, of course, there's a little bit of a um, perspective uh, of, on the side of his son, if you will. Like, of course, Alave and Wilson are going to play the most because guess what? They're probably both going to go first, second round next year. We, Wilson's probably a top 15 pick. In every mock draft, he's in the top 15 right now for next year. So, you know, th- there's a factor there. Uh, I don't think he likes that, that his son got passed up by JSN. And if you look at JSN, there's not much keeping him off of the field. This is sort of the byproduct of recruiting as well as you have at the wide receiver position, where you have so many kids who expect to come in and be the man right away right? Because that's all they've ever done. And if they go to most places, they'd probably get on the field right away. And you have a kid like Julian Fleming who barely played last year and he has one or two drops when he gets in and he doesn't see the field a lot because there's so much talent and depth. So Jamison Williams sat here, figured he's not passing a lobby in Wilson. He's mad. Wilson switched back to X where he's been. And then, you know, he's got these other guys coming up the screaming up the rear behind him with Harrison, with, with Ibuka, you know, you got JSN behind him. I mean, you got a whole group of stars. You got Julian Fleming is going to be working to get on the field. These are all elite of the elite when it comes to recruits. So, you know, it, 
it makes for an interesting story on the way out. And it also underlines the sheer volume of talent in the OSC receiver room right now, where Alabama, which has had two top 15 or top 10 picks or whatever at wide receiver, is taking an OSU receiver as a transfer and expecting he might be a starter from day one. And this is a guy who right now I would have told you was probably fourth or fifth on our depth chart. Overall, if you want one, two, three, four, just in the receiver room, not talking about the nuances of different positions that they're playing. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting one. And this is what you're going to see is you're going to see guys like Williams who were productive when they got the chance to be not end up sticking around because there's too much talent. And I think it comes down to that for sure. You know, man, when he transferred or entered the transfer portal, I should say, I'm thinking, okay, he's probably going to Missouri. You know, maybe he'll go to something like Arizona state, you know, pick a lesser school, but Missouri being his home state school, I'm thinking he's probably going to Missouri. I think we had some group texts within our, you know, colleagues here at Bucknuts um, talking about that. The fact that he went to Alabama, I think you said it best. It's, it's a middle finger. If there's one program in this country, when you look at the roster right now that has better talent than Ohio State, it would be Alabama. And maybe Ohio State's better, but like I think those are the two best. Maybe Georgia's right there as well. But you know, you're talking about like there's a very short list. For him to leave Ohio State and go to Missouri, you're thinking, okay, well, he wasn't going to play here. For him to leave Ohio, and I know, Bax, I know what you're going to say. Like Alabama's depth chart at wide receiver is not what it is at Ohio State. I fully get that. It's not. Ohio State has the best depth chart in the country at wide receiver. But for him to go to Alabama does feel like a middle finger, as you said, to Ohio State. There's no question about it. And if you look at his list, Michigan was on it too. So it wasn't like the kid was thinking, I'm going to go somewhere and appreciate my time at osu and he may appreciate it but there was definitely a sense of screw you i should have played more there is zero question that was an aspect to it and right now the big rival for ohio state is alabama they sort of leapt the clemson hurdle last year when they blew trevor lawrence and company out in the semifinal. uh that was a whole year coming and you knew that was waiting right now it's going to be alabama that's the that's the hurdle for ohio state and jameson williams is not only leaving ohio state but he's going to alabama right, to essentially try to block his old school from winning a national championship. And Nick Saban's not taking him to, you know, be funny and point a finger at Ohio State and rub it in their eye. Nick Saban brings in kids because he wants to win, period. There's no if ands, or buts about it. And I, I partially agree with you. Alabama and OSU are by far the two most talented rosters in the country. Georgia's not even in the ballpark, even though they've been recruiting better. Partly because I think Kirby Smart's always going to blow it. When I, it I was kind of, I was trying to be nice there, wasn't I? I really should have just went with my first instinct and just went with Ohio State and Alabama. You're right. You're right. Go don't, ahead. Don't pull your punches. No, you're Georgia right. isn't in their you're ballpark. Right. Ohio State would beat Georgia by three touchdowns next year if they played. Because Georgia doesn't have anybody who can play offense. And, and if they, they never wanted Kirby Smart. And if they, they did. He ran off Justin Fields. I was going to say, if they did have a really good quarterback, he'd be the backup and transfer the next year to Ohio State. But go ahead. Yeah, they'd take a guy who, um, who, who was a top – 10 pick and they would say hey you know what we should do with him let's make him a change of pace running quarterback so we can run out a fifth rounder ahead of him yeah that was a great decision kirby we love making fun of kirby here on the bucknuts morning five that'll never get old so the the wide receiver room overall we're sitting here being like well they lost jameson williams and you know, his dad's mad and you know he gave the middle finger on his way out the door to ohio state okay but Guess what? This is still the best wide receiver room that I can ever remember at Ohio State with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, 
Emeka Ekbuka. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I'm still feeling good about this. You know, this is going to be a, a, a new challenge for Ryan Day and Brian Hartline, right? Hartline has been like, you know, the golden boy of recruiting for OSU the last two years, right? Like the guy can do no wrong. And now he has a different challenge. It's not convincing the kids to come. It's convincing the kids to stay when everybody gets a free transfer without having to sit out and having that much talent and that many egos in a room is going to be a balancing act. Right. Um, you know, one of the things Williams dad was complaining about was saying that Ohio state cost Olave uh, millions of dollars by not telling him to go pro this year. Right. He was inferring that they made promises, yada, 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 which I don't know what he was really getting. In a there. very deep wide receiver draft. Give me a break. Agreed. The lobby wouldn't have gone till mid second or later, where he's a chance to be a first rounder next year because of the talent that's going to be on hand. So I, I think the truth here is, is that, you know, I don't think any promises were made. I think Olave made a business decision saying I could go 20th instead of 50th and, you know, get another year and a chance to win a national championship and all that fun jazz. Cause the only guy in the country who he's pretty sure is going to go ahead of him right now is, is in the same wide receiver room as him, but it's a challenge. This is, this is controlling egos. This is handling a bunch of high-level players, and it's not like it's the defensive line where you can run out, you know, four or to eight guys consistently. The whole point of a receiver is to get the football. And there's only one football, and there's only one person who gets it every play, right? And that's only whenever you pass, which is half the time. So this is going to be a challenge because you might get through a few games, and you might have some guys who aren't really getting a lot of catches who are probably open, but OSU is way better than everybody they play for the most part. So if you're the third option on a bunch of routes, maybe you only have a couple catches, right? It's kind of like we saw with Julian Fleming. I'm not going to say he has bad hands just because he had a couple drops. He was probably so eager to get the ball in his hands. He is like, the, I forget what game it was. It might've been Indiana where he had a ball hit him in the hands on, uh, on, a, on, a, on a, 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 a route up the middle. And he cut inside, looked up, and he saw how much field was open in front of him, looked back, and it was like he was waiting for the ball to go in his hands and he was already running and he dropped it. It probably is a 60-yard touchdown, right? But that was the last ball that came his way that day, right? That's the problem with these limited opportunities is you have a bunch of really high-level kids. And yes, it's going to help push them to a very high level of performance as a group as a whole. But when you have the sheer amount of receiving talent Ohio State does, not to mention Jeremy Ruckert's going to get some looks too, it's going to be a balancing act for Heartline and Day to keep all these kids happy. Because they're not going to want to sit around three years and wait. You know, the, the reference I, I made off air, Dave, was the Florida State quarterbacks back in the day would always wait till they were juniors to start. That's not how it works today. Not with instant transfers. So this is going to be a big challenge. It's sort of having to re-recruit your whole roster and try to sell them on, look, Olave is going pro. Wilson is going pro. They're both going to be super high picks, and it's going to be your time next year. And in the meantime, you need to be that third or fourth option, right? Or they're going to have to keep them happy. And I tell you what, the way that OSU's talent level is, it's not going to be the old school trestle games where you're up by five touchdowns in the third quarter and you bring in the backups and you run the ball. No, it's going to be we're running the offense because you get to get these kids their time and their highlights, right? Like everybody's going to – you could see OSU throwing the football four straight quarters, even if it's a sacrifice kind of game because you have to keep all these kids happy and get them their opportunities, right? So it's going to be fascinating to watch this wide receiver room play out because of the sheer volume of talent and egos compared to the opportunities that are waiting for them. Yeah, like next year, for example, 
let's say CJ Stroud's the quarterback this year, which I think he will be. I know you feel the same way, and he's going to be the quarterback next year as a junior. If things go well, and maybe he'll be three and done, he'll light it up the next two years and be three and done. Quinn Ewers coming in next year, or Kyle McCord, um, when they're in the game, they're going to be throwing the football. They're going to be throwing the football for sure. You know, they're not going to be trying to like completely run it up on teams, but you're right. They're going to be still throwing the football, whether it's Kyle McCord or Quinn Ewers. And this year as well, C.J. Stroud, when he leaves the game, Kyle McCord, if he comes in there, he's going to be throwing the football. One more thing before I get you out of here, my man. I was thinking about this after my Bengals drafted Jackson Carmen. I think they reached on him in the second round. The more I read, you know, maybe it wasn't that much of a reach. I wasn't crazy about that pick. The reason I bring this up, though, is Nicholas Petit-Ferrer. They were in the same class, and... Nick Petit-Ferrer was actually ranked higher than Jackson Carmen, which I forgot about. And both five-star prospects and Jackson Carmen now going the second round for the Bengals from Clemson after starting two years there. Nick Petit coming back for a fourth year for the Buckeyes after redshirting a year. is going to be a third year or a fourth year junior, I should say. And Thayer Munford as a fifth year senior. How early do you think those guys will go next year? Are we looking at next year? Because we're talking about Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Those guys will go early in the draft next year for sure. We're going to hear a lot about the two Ohio State receivers. How early are the two Ohio State offensive tackles going to go next year with Petit Ferrer and Thayer Munford? You know, it was funny when Carmen got drafted by the Bengals. Uh, my, my immediate thought jumped back to Mike Brown's traditional laziness in scouting. Uh, you know, their first pick was the guy their quarterback said to pick because he played with them. And the second guy was probably was probably a guy that Mike Brown saw in a high school highlight or something, right? Easy there, easy, easy there, Steeler fan. Okay, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Say, so I got a G. Harris. I'm happy right now. He, he, he I learned my lesson with him uh, against Ohio State. I'm very happy he's in the black and yellow. But <laughs> as for OSU's tackles for next year, um, so I said this in the bucket last weekend about Thayer Munford. I think he's probably looking at a third to fourth round area. Um, I say that because of all the back history he has, right? There's going to be a lot of teams that are leery of that injury history, as we saw with Justin Hilliard. Um, now, Munford's not in the same situation as Hilliard. Obviously, Hilliard went through years and years and years of didn't even get on the field, whereas Munford's just struggled with some back issues in the past. And he could also push himself up towards the top uh, of the draft uh, pecking order at tackle if he's able to show another healthy year. But he's not your ideal size for a tackle either. He's probably looked at as a right tackle in the NFL, not a left tackle. So I think he's more a third to fifth round kind of range. NPF was a guy I didn't project because, you know, he's still got eligibility left and he's not a slam dunk to go. But if NPF has another really strong year, he has all the measurables of a left tackle. He has all the, uh, the, the athleticism that you're going to want to see. But the irony is he's been playing right tackle his whole career because you have Munford on the left side. So there's going to be a bit of projection for him. If you think he's an NFL left tackle, because there's not any film of it. So it's going to be really interesting with him because he's one of those athletic kind of guys that you could easily see being a first round pick or a fifth round pick because there's so much range on, can he project to the NFL level as a left tackle when he doesn't have a lot of film at right tackle? Like this is the sort of thing where he almost, wonder if Ryan Day hasn't thought about telling the two of them, let's flip-flop this year and see how it goes, right? Just to help you both with your pro perceptions. But I, I, I don't think that'll ever happen. Not in a year where we're talking about starting Paris Johnson at guard. So, and which, by the way, there's a guy who's a first-rounder whenever he's eligible to go to the pros. So I think both the OSU's tackles next year are going to be 
kind of like we saw this year with Myers and uh, Davis, where they were going to go pretty high. We all thought they were going to be first three rounds, and that's kind of how it panned out. But if one of them, I mean, MPF had a really good year last year, and Munford was, I think, virtually unbeaten at left tackle last year. Like, I, I, I forget what the stats are, Dave, so forgive me here, but I think he only gave up like two sacks or something over the entire season, um, which is pretty impressive. And, and I think his pressure number was like less than 10. So that's a really good year. So both these guys are going to be highly thought about at the NFL level. And it's going to be interesting to see because if you look at OSU in terms of who they have in the NFL, they've sent a ton of interior alignment, right? But this side of Taylor Decker, I mean, tackles haven't been something that's, that's been a real hallmark for them. So I'm really interested to see what people think of those guys because there's a real, I guess, opportunity for those guys to sort of help continue pushing OSU into that even more elite level when it comes to NFL players at every single position. Because as good as the O-line has been improved in the last seven or eight years here at OSU, you know, it's going to be real interesting to see how the tackle position is perceived by the NFL level because they definitely seem to like Ohio State's interior linemen in recent years. Great stuff, as always, from Matt Baxendale. You can catch his column every Sunday on Bucknuts. It is the bucket. Thank you very much, Bax. Thank you to all the listeners out there for tuning in the show. We appreciate that very much. I hope everyone has a great day. Let's try the Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.